Section 13 of Unprofessional Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unprofessional Tales by Norman Douglas. To E. F. G. Gaudium. Otio furor eucondissimo. Ratio. Utor dic. Petrarca de remediis utriusque fortunae the mansion of the late duke was noteworthy in more than one respect it stood at a great altitude many leagues from the nearest farmstead in one of the wildest districts of his wild domain and upon a natural platform at the head of a tortuous glen that led up into the solitary recesses of the mountains his father had originally selected the site in a moment of caprice to build a summer hunting lodge for certain of his friends who were fond of the chase but his mother the lady matilda a discerning woman loved its seclusion at all seasons and had spent the latter part of her married life there alone with her infant for her husband i presume found it every year more difficult to tear himself away from the pleasures and intrigues of the capital it was in the month of february i remember that i made my first acquaintance with the place the mock death the immobility of winter was yet upon all living things the sledge in which i lay half torpid had been winding for many hours between high piled snowdrifts up the sinuosities of the ice-bound glen towards evening we encountered a bank of fog that seemed interminable but suddenly as we attained the plateau and came close under the gray walls we emerged out of the mists and passed into an atmosphere of intensest sparkling blue i found it difficult at first to inhale the clear air the optical effect was marvellous we were standing as it seemed aloof from the world upon some high poised cloud and surveying a billowy ocean of vapour nothing in all this heaving expanse attracted the eye save where some mountain peak soared island-like into the ether above the tawny flood and reflected on its snows the crimson rays of sunset though the spell was only momentary i have never been able to dismiss the notion that i then entered upon something more than mere terrestrial isolation the winter at this altitude was sublime but the most enjoyable season was the great summer calm when the fountains were released and the moist precipices glistened with a thousand silvery threads of water when one might lie dreaming for hours upon some dry knoll amid that indefinable but overpowering fragrance of wild nature listening to the hum of insects the music of the waters or the harsh cries of kite or curlew or fern owl for never a sound of humanity reached the mansion the lady matilda would often gaze from her window over the wide table-land glowing in russet and mauve tints and her eye unconsciously followed the meanderings of the rill that burst from a chill cleft near the mansion as it leaped in busy cataracts between the brown boulders and finally after a descent of more than three thousand feet lost itself in the belt of forest where flowed the great river all around was silence and solitude at this serene height the landscape was spread out before her like a map and her glance often rested where in the dim distance far below some glittering spire rising among the purple haze of a village 
reminded her of the existence of her fellow-creatures in that world so far away that she once knew so well and every evening there appeared in the sky such flashes of colours such lustrous cloud configurations as would have gladdened the heart of a turner or claude lorraine sometimes the firmament was alive with hosts of ruddy demons that advanced with flying banners and all the pomp of arms toward some mimic citadel then suddenly the gorgeous pageantry would fade away and pale distressful phantoms stretched arms from east to west anon appeared a golden harvest swaying to the breeze or high-piled terraces browsed by flocks of sheep or curious portraiture of crosses and spears thus gazing she learned to sympathize with those simpler minds of other days that were pleased to discover in these sky pictures portents of deep significance to themselves a lonely spot indeed but it suited the purpose of lady matilda her sensitive mind recoiled at the prospect that her son should imbibe like his father the brutality that is often enough the result of a purely worldly education however praiseworthy its objects and admirable its general results her own unfortunate experiences therefore had counselled her to bring up the child at her side in this isolation until such a time at least as he should be sufficiently wise to repel those evil influences and passions to which his father had succumbed i have never been able to fathom the reasons of her marriage she must have known something of her future husband's character and reputation her own birth had placed her above the temptation of social ambition nor can ignorance be pleaded on her behalf for she was over thirty at the time of her marriage and a woman of the world in every sense of that word i can therefore only attribute this step to one of those ill-starred whims that sometimes afflict the most reasonable of her sex it was soon seen that hers was a nature whose full beauty only blossoms in the wintry storm of adversity but it is unnecessary to rake up any of these ancient scandals whose influence upon her was such that before the timely birth of her son her friends often feared that her mind would give way under the strain after the death of her husband she resumed her inward harmony and laid aside with antique dignity all memory of the past she was now freed from a life of continual apprehensions and reproaches her self-divided existence had ended and here in the solitudes of the mountains her true nature again found itself the mellow the morose the frivolous these are the three categories into one of which when the plasticity of youth has passed away the human character tends to fall the lady matilda belonged to the first named and it is this class who enjoy one priceless privilege to which youth can never aspire the perfect humour true to itself tempered and refined by affliction it is their prerogative to smile when youth weeps to be not embittered but enlightened not indifferent but resigned the lady matilda had possessed throughout life something of that coordinating and systematic spirit of great thinkers like humboldt and linnaeus she had never learned to detach the part from the whole but her formerly materialistic views had undergone a transformation and they were now chastened and suffused by a roseate tinge of poetry 
she began to see through the dull body into the living soul of things she had lived long enough to survey herself and all human affairs in their true perspective to comprehend their utter insignificance in the great plan of macrocosm above all she had suffered and that fiery ordeal had not been undergone without a corresponding gain of moral purification a permanent addition to her sum of knowledge all those who have endured real grief of heart have learned to know the value the appalling stupefying non-value of the comforts of philosophy and the promises of religion this then was a definite acquisition of wisdom and therefore like others who have travelled by the same road of grief and enlightenment she now took refuge in such literature and thoughts as removed her from those purely human interests that had been the burden of her latter life into the dim and airy regions of the superhuman for while we can never hope to escape wholly out of our own human atmosphere or even wish to do so it remains a suggestive fact that some great thinkers are not forever satisfied with the actions and passions of the purely human nor yet with those of beings purely divine as they labor under analogous disadvantages being inevitably endowed with ideas of good and evil akin to our own only somewhat caricatured in intensity the purely divine therefore is and ever has been profoundly uninteresting i should hence have better said the extra-human for it is precisely in this admixture of the fanciful in this interpretation of human motives with a new and unaccountable element that thinkers congenial to herself have delighted and i have referred at some length to this tendency in the mind of the lady matilda in the hope of throwing light upon certain much abused peculiarities of her son that are intelligible only when traced back to this source but let me at once confess my candid opinion that amiable and interesting as he was nothing but the accident of his birth and the innate snobbishness of his fellow-creatures can explain that phenomenal outpouring of idle and mischievous gossip on the occasion of his death she used to exemplify her views by referring to that universal love of the fabulous that underlies the popular tales of all nations and has doubtless some deep meaning did not the illustrious gotha experience in his old age a kindred longing a longing after the extra-human when he wrote his faust that olympic genius that had delved so deep into the tortuous caverns of the human soul had now become weary of mankind in their ordinary manifestations he craved for other company and no one has taken such sympathetic delight in the extra-natural as our shakespeare he was clearly animated by that self-same longing when he traced in the last effluence of his divine inspiration the delicately ethereal framework of the tempest and breathed into it that atmosphere of witchery and new images new images new springs of action he had played enough upon the human pipe these demigods among men that had spent their lives in conning the book of humanity engaging the lusts and hatreds of their fellows in arranging and rearranging the puppets upon this stage of ours these masterminds were grown tired of their pastime the truth foreshadowed in the child's love of fairy tales is borne out by the matured wisdom of sages 
new beings new secrets enough of man she would say and her son interpreted it later after his own extravagant fashion that whoever deals much with mankind must yearn to build up a world of fancy for himself to escape from their sordid lives and interests their wearisome virtues their self-praise ceaseless as the cicada's song to be in touch with other thoughts and passions with something new something different humanity leaves a bad taste in the mouth the child meanwhile grew up in this calm wilderness hardy and supple in body in mind wholly lovable like herself he possessed that anthropomorphism characteristic of all solitary children and i often amused myself in endeavouring to penetrate into the tangled system of nature worship that he had built up for himself but the recesses of a child's mind are inaccessible as that hercynian forest of old i saw a good deal of the family in that memorable winter when the whole country was convulsed in rebellions whose thunders reverberated up to the very walls of the grey mansion among the clouds within all was peace during those long evenings when the beech and logs flickered on the hearth the lady matilda revealed herself to me for the first time in the character of a fire worshipper not in the strict zoroastrian sense of the word nor yet in the sense of an artist who merely delights in the transcendent beauty of the flames that surpass in purity and lustre every gem of the earth as they climb upwards in gay motion clustering brightly on some devoted spot and liberating with mirthful sound the prisoned life within but in a profound and yet romantic sense of the word gazing steadily into the fire in a kind of trance she enjoyed she said brief moments of ecstatic bliss sudden thrills of enlightenment when as under the influence of some potent drug or responsive to an angel's touch the mind feels capable of resolving every enigma of life when the doubts the contradictions the injustices of nature are no longer felt in their individual torturing manifestations but do build themselves up into one harmonious and righteous whole she remembered the sun the source of all light and her knowledge of the mighty alchemic operations whereby all earthly organisms derive their first breath of life and the faculty of continued living inevitably led her to view the great fire as the benign originator and preserver of all things when she remembered that solar virtues fashioned also the wondrous forms of inanimate matter and contrived their manifold tints when she reflected that the flashing ruby was kindred not in colour only but in substance with the arterial life that flowed through her veins when she encountered the great truth the truth of the kinship of the tie of blood that binds the cosmos to herself and to all mankind whose structure contains the common properties of the earth whose humours of body and mind are swayed by her satellite whose very thoughts are but expressions of solar energy in the contemplation of these vistas her own individual preoccupations and those of her fellow-creatures seemed to melt away like mists there was grandeur she declared in such views there was a tuneful sequence of cause and effect above all there was repose heaven knows what were her ulterior intentions with regard to the education of her child 
but i presume she meditated for him some years of travel among the capitals of the world where he might shake off any singularity or unmanliness acquired during his solitary childhood in the meanwhile the principal task she imposed upon herself and upon his teachers was that he should grow up free from those superstitions from which she had painfully liberated herself free at the same time from all dogmatic assertion of knowledge from that lack of consideration for the opinions of others which characterized i regret to say his own father whose common politeness was wont to evaporate together with his common sense in the heat of discussion the due alloy of humility and dignity that ideal state was nowhere to be discovered she thought save in the teachings of nature for a purely metaphysical education is apt to infect young minds with the malady of introspection while priestcraft that seeks to humanize the great unknown thereby debases it and exalts its creatures above their station few i imagine would have known better than herself how to draw from the common truths of nature such lessons as might tend to humble him before that great unknown humbling simultaneously and conclusively the derisive pretensions of his fellows none more able to decompose as she used to express herself the dry light of knowledge into those rainbow tints of kindliness that soften and gladden the human heart to extract with magician's cunning the romance of life out of its murky facts even as out of that foul coal-tar some who know the secret craftily distill most delicate aromas and colours exquisite all these educational designs i remember sounded admirable at the time when she propounded them looking at things in the light of later knowledge i cannot but think that she leaned unduly towards the side of sentimentality her projects whatever they were remained unfulfilled for she died in the following spring after a short illness leaving the child at a critical age and hardly yet able to materialize the immensity of his loss of the following years of his life i only know that he seldom left the mountains and that with an astuteness worthy of a better cause he soon managed to dismiss his various tutors and to thwart his guardians into a sullen compliance with his wishes up to the day when he could legally dispense with their services in later years he often expressed regret at his boyish waywardness and intolerance gaudium serenus ac tranquillus est air ratio quanto malum serenus ac tranquillus esset animus tuus petrarca many years elapsed before i again had an opportunity of seeing him he was grown to manhood but i was concerned to observe that many of the tastes which he may be supposed to have inherited or acquired from his mother had deviated so to speak from their natural line of development he never possessed her controlling common sense whether consciously or not he carried all her peculiarities to extremes the yearning towards the extra-human for instance that was so intelligible on her part had degenerated in the young man into something akin and yet very different i refer to an unhealthy craving after the monstrous which survived throughout his short life and coloured or discoloured all his thoughts and actions 
whatever was normal serene reposeful was liable eo ipso to become distasteful to him this propensity towards the inordinate the grotesque is more widely distributed than may be supposed i could cite the names of several eminent writers and artists of recent times whose minds are undoubtedly tainted though in a lesser degree with this idiosyncrasy it is an essentially modern phenomenon a protest possibly like the pest of symbolism on the part of man's mystery-loving soul against the scientific spirit of the times its psychological investigation might prove an interesting study and that which in his mother's case was a justifiable desire for solitude a deliberate retirement with a set purpose had become with him a morbid and irrational disinclination to leave his home he was consistent in nothing so much as this refusal to make himself acquainted with the actual living world of men i hardly think he was out of his own domain more than once in the course of his life and his life in this eagle's nest was not only solitary it was absolutely aimless he possessed talents of no mean order and sometimes in a frenzy of good intentions he would lock himself into his library to pursue the study of some particular subject but he suffered from one of the commonest defects of genius diffusiveness lack of concentrative grasp he recoiled at the immensity of the task before him sighed at the impossibility of realizing his intellectual projects and therefore dreaded to tread where a less dainty and pretentious person would have boldly ventured his mental horizon extended too far and in this again i seem to recognize a perversion of those broad all-comprehensive views of his mother how many great men have been lost to the world through this failure to realize their own limitations a restless spirit is a dungeon unto itself his very thirst for knowledge his manifold ambitions paralyzed his initiative in fact he simply lacked the sense of measure and the standards which he set up for himself were such as no mortals may hope to attain when piqued on his indolence he used to quote bacon's counsel as to reading not to learn but to weigh and consider and advised his friends to do likewise at other times he gravely professed as a legitimate and even laudable aim in life to study his individuality a masked form of egoism if that term can be employed in speaking of one who with all his whims was the type and pattern of humility his caprice at first found an object in reconstructing the mansion of his birth to the total neglect of his other family seats and upon a scale entirely disproportionate to his needs while the fit lasted the work proceeded furiously building materials were transported at an enormous cost up the congested glen and the weary laborers summoned from distant towns and villages lived in crowded sheds and complained of ague and insufficient nourishment he fitted the house with such luxurious appliances of modern comfort as ill accorded with its rustic character and amazed his somewhat infrequent visitors under his hands it grew into the outward token of a tormented mind meaningless towers reared their heads into the clouds and at every turn in the interior the eye was confounded by some grotesque arrangement of color or design 
the evident intention was to astonish rather than to please he built large conservatories to contain forests of palms and one day i remember there wound up the valley some thirty or forty wagons containing a costly assortment of vegetable products from central america poisonous growths of most bestial shapes that fatten on air and sun-scorched rock tortoises among plants slow-growing uncouth tenacious of life with porcupine spikes and blossoms of scarlet flame i commented upon this singularly unlovely collection it pleases me and harms no one he replied that was his favorite palliation of every folly the mention of tropical plants recalls a conversation that is yet fresh in my mind it began with his reading out to me a glowing but fantastic description of a brazilian primeval forest as he imagined it in which one particular passage ran something to this effect it was a dazzling spectacle a blaze of color rained down upon my eyes clusters of flowers wrestled with the matted branches wreathing themselves into golden festoons that glittered with lightning flashes or hung in mid-air dangling by gossamer threads like tremulous stars of light to my left a torrent of blood-red blossoms of wondrous shapes streamed down some blighted trunk while a stupendous liana just so i said just so that comes of not travelling if you had ever visited one of these forests you would have noticed that they are remarkably devoid of flowering plants they are nothing but tangled emerald wildernesses well he asked and your conclusion therefore travel in this isolation you cannot avoid acquiring exaggerated views and opinions you have just proved it yourself you see exaggeration is the salt of life your knowledge of the world would be corrected and enlarged i have my books and my imagination it is precisely your imagination that is liable to lead you astray i urged the naked truth is always different the naked truth is always disenchanting i prefer my illusions to your realities hence this isolation that you disparage you prefer the wrong to the right he only smiled what are right and wrong in such matters nothing but pitfalls stumbling blocks in our search after delight you have proved it yourself you see true beauty is only to be found here he added tapping his forehead with a significant gesture you would contract the sphere of the beautiful whereas i seek to widen it deliberately and systematically with a view to increasing my own capacity for enjoyment at the expense of common sense i asked common sense is a good servant but a bad master and in disregard of experience where experience enters fancy flees besides he added evasively i have my mountains you know an intelligent person i maintained is not permanently satisfied with contemplating even the sublimest phenomena of nature you remind me of dr johnson because i insisted they lack the element of tradition to be able to discover in a mountain something more than a mere terrestrial deformity argues a certain modern complexity of feeling a simple peasant has no eye for these natural beauties 
but a worldly man who rarely loses touch with the human race or a poet who is daily reminded of its petty hopes and fears appreciates nowadays at least this solemnity therefore go first to the ganges and the nile to persepolis and rome and athens observe how the works of man have grown and perished then return to your eternal mountains and be assured that they will speak to you in a new tongue you are altogether too bound up in your fellow creatures that is what makes you so sententious as for my mountains i am quite satisfied with them as they are and i do not wish them to speak to me i only wish to speak to them as he uttered these last words his voice sank into a pathetic whisper even that is hardly a sufficient motive for secluding yourself half a lifetime among them drive that nightmare of motivation out of your head he cried it is based upon a pernicious misconception of the human mind i do not profess to be guided by any motives where are my motives doubtless they are slumbering somewhere in my brain or more probably in my lower gastric region but i have never attempted to make their acquaintance and please don't stir them up for me he added with a laugh or i may be suddenly seized with a disastrous longing to learn chinese or to join the moravian brotherhood that is precisely what i was about to suggest to you even if you remain here your life need not necessarily be an idle one there is a world of suffering and strife and unkindliness to be medicined your wealth your position offers exceptional facilities for becoming a missionary a policeman or a scavenger fellow creatures again no the world is too full of useful persons already they create daily new desires and new complaints and new regrets besides encouraging overpopulation we breed our proletariat as if they were orchids if you knew the world you would be more charitable then do something at least with your own talents i suggested do something do something that seems to be the chief infatuation of modern times do something are we never to grow out of that puerile doctrine again the gospel of work my friend is written only for paupers work for the poor leisure for the rich it is only in our enlightened age that the expression a man of leisure a dilettante an amateur have become tinctured with the flavor of reproach it is only nowadays that a man dares to confess i am old and rich but my mind lacks resources i cannot entertain myself i am a cart horse harness me a drudge kick me to my desk what shall be said of a society that prides itself upon such monsters progress perhaps but not civilization i see your principle is do nothing and that well you have formulated it very clearly and concisely he replied smiling a charming smile full of unaffected childlike perverseness it was this particular smile i suspect that alienated from him a good many excellent persons who would otherwise have given him credit at least for sincerity and self-consistency but they saw only the fretful dreamer dogmatic and supercilious while a sympathetic mind soon discovered in him an homogeneous entity delightfully different from those composite characters of whom the world is only too full the last occasion on which i saw my friend 
was not many weeks before that deplorable accident concerning which enough and more than enough has been written he struck me at first as being more tolerant and reasonable than formerly i imagined that he had reached a turning point in his development the termination of one of those definite life periods when all men worthy of the name having passed through a cleansing process of spiritual desquamation and slipped their outworn weeds of thought and feeling enter with quickened pulses upon a fresh and radiant existence he had always represented to my mind the type of a northern nature slow but strong groping its way unaided from darkness to light and only attaining full intellectual maturity at a comparatively late age it was not long however before he took me into his new paragon library that has likewise not escaped its share of comment i could see at a glance that it had been constructed according to his own ideas ideas that were generally right in principle and sometimes singularly felicitous but seldom lacked the savour of the outrageous outre in their execution it was not so much a single room as an assorted group of small chambers opening into each other by archways at irregular angles with a not unpleasing labyrinthine effect there were nine of these separate compartments voluptuously furnished and dedicated he told me to the nine muses he explained that in thus breaking up the space his intention was to prevent the studious eye from unconsciously wandering and that he generally excluded the intrusive daylight with the same object closing all the shutters and lighting a lamp at midday in order to illuminate the particular cell in which he happened to be engaged while the rest of the suite was artificially drowned in egyptian gloom the walls of these nine chambers were concealed behind an unnumbered multitude of books reposing in cases of aromatic oriental woods whose heavy perfume saturated the air there were works of every size and age and in every tongue besides those that might naturally be found in a scholar's library i observed entire shelves groaning under a load of folios fancy bindings editions de luxe or monographs upon subjects whose very existence was unknown save to students for a private collection it was the most heterogeneous one i ever saw he guessed my thoughts call it rather a geological deposit contorted perhaps but not faulty there are well-marked strata of different classes of books according to the different phases of my life each of which has produced a crop of literature that has temporarily interested me the books may look confused but there is no such confusion in my head he was perhaps going to say but a fear of ridicule caused him to break off abruptly in one chamber i stumbled upon an immense pile of unclassified manuscripts these were the fruits of a certain occupation that he had pursued with rare consistency throughout his life namely the systematic collection and elaboration of all those local legends in which that part of the country abounded his knowledge of the district lore i am told was nothing short of marvellous in regard to its extent and minuteness he made himself acquainted with every nook of the mountains not a rill not a ruin escaped his eye 
and the archives of parishes monasteries and private mansions were ransacked for any extracts that might bear upon the history of his domain and of the particular glen which he had learned to love with an almost fanatical veneration and needless to say all that inclined to the monstrous and what are old chronicles but a compilation of monstrosities exercised a peculiar charm upon him in fact it was probably this one quality that endeared to him the pursuit he confessed to an inordinate liking for the middle ages with their grim sorceries prodigies and demonology whereas i used to contend that they constitute the most disgraceful era of man's history upon earth being nothing but a long succession of murders and prayers enlivened only by the buffoonery of knight errantry and occasional visitations of the plague an age where everything is improbable and what is not improbable is worse ah but read this he said triumphantly as he tenderly fished out a single parcel from among the pile it was a medieval legend connected with the site of his own house i read it and found it remarkable only in so far as it seemed even more grotesque than the generality of its kind but herein no doubt lay its fascination for my friend End of section 13